Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We bring on Carl Calabrese. You can hear him every Friday at 1 with David Bellavia. Carl, good morning. Good morning, Joe. Really good to be with you today. Hey, good to have you on. And uh, Carl, let's get right to it. The uh, Erie County Republican Party will announce their endorsement of Clarence businesswoman Chrissy Casilio Blum uh, tomorrow. What are your thoughts on the candidate? Well, it, it, it's obvious that the the most prominent names, uh, elected officials, uh, were were not interested in this job and, and put the party in a position of of really going to something somewhat unorthodox, and that is, you know, someone who's never run for office, a new face. Um, and you know, I, let me say this: I, I've known the Casilio family for decades. Uh, I don't know this lady; I've never met her. But I was very good friends with her late grandfather, uh, Pat Casilio Sr., a very, very dear friend. Uh, he passed away in 2008, I believe. Um, but I, I know the Casilio family. I know her, her father, who is the supervisor of Clarence. Um, and so she comes from a family that uh, has a lot of experience in politics. Uh, she comes from a family that was very, very, and is very well connected in the development community. Um, and those are all advantages. I mean, she is a businesswoman. Uh, she is very active in Clarence. She's uh, past president of the Rotary Club, I believe, if not maybe even the current president. She's a past recipient of the Rotarian of the Year. She's a member of the Chamber of Commerce. Uh, she is a businesswoman. She owns her own uh, public relations firm. She has given speeches many, many places around this, the county on women in business. So she's obviously got some experience in, in, in standing in front of people and, and transmitting ideas. Uh, and again, she's got family connections that could address one of the major problems any newcomer has in running for any office, especially one uh, at a high level like county executive. And that, is, that is the ability to raise money. That usually is a death knell for new people coming into politics. Their inability to raise money, which means they cannot, number one, become known uh, to the public uh, just as a person, and number two, be able to transmit their ideas and their agenda. Uh, she may have the ability to raise some serious money given, again, those contacts and relationships her family has had with, with other developers over the years. Um, so, you know, and, and she's, she's a fresh face. And this may be the year where the fresh face really attracts people's attention. Again, it's unprecedented for a county executive to win a fourth term. Uh, others who have tried it, namely the late Dennis Gorski, failed and, and lost his, his uh, attempt for a fourth term. Uh, and so, you know, it, it could be the year where the fresh face may get attention if she can raise the money to make her name known and her positions known. It could be an interesting race. Well, you know, time will tell. As you said, you know, uh, have to get the name out there. Name recognition is huge, especially running against uh, Mark Polonkars, who, I mean, over the last three years, if you didn't know who he was, you do now. What is the right way for the Republican Party to play this campaign? Well, that's a great question. Um, First of all, Polonkars has got a lot of advantages going into this race. He's the incumbent. Incumbents tend to win 95-plus percent of the time. It's the exception when they lose, but they do lose occasionally. Uh, he's got name ID. He's got money in the bank and the ability to raise whatever he's going to need. And he's got 136,000 more Democrats than Republicans on the 
enrollment uh, lists. So those are all huge advantages. But again, it, when, when the public decides it's time for a change, all of those things I just mentioned, all of those advantages I just mentioned takes a back seat. In order to win, there's two keys for her. Number one, money, which I've already mentioned. And number two, she needs to identify an issue that hits the public hot button. Uh, I believe this campaign may be very similar to the gorski Giambra race in 1999, again, where Gorski is going for an unprecedented fourth term. He's running on the ability, uh, his ability to manage the government. Uh, I, was, I was on the strategy committee uh, in that election for Joe Giambra. And as a committee, we decided early on that if, if Giambra ran uh, on, his, on Gorski's turf, that is, he could do a better job at managing government, uh, he would lose. He had to change the race to he will do a better job leading the government into a whole new direction. Uh, and he came up with, and we came up with this idea of regionalism, uh, new and better, more efficient, cheaper ways to govern ourselves and make ourselves more competitive from a tax standpoint. And by changing the debate and forcing Dennis Gorski off of his turf onto the Jambra turf, an area where he was not comfortable, uh, he was a manager, not a visionary. Uh, that was the difference in the race and why Joel Jambra won, in, in addition to the fact that people wanted a fresh face and they said it was time for a change. So I think a lot of that is similar. If she can come up with an issue that changes the nature of the race from who can better manage county government to who can better lead us into a new, innovative, creative, uh, visionary direction, uh, you know, she may, hit, she may hit pay dirt just as Joel Jambra did in 1999. In your opinion, what what could one of those issues or that issue be? Four years ago, uh, my firm, when I was when I was working, uh, we represented a, a number of, of major developers, and those developers put together a presentation uh, on economic development, showing how cities across the Northeast, the so-called Rust Belt, had adopted a whole new philosophy of economic development. Um, right now, we are still locked into economic development based on shovel-ready land. That's almost obsolete today. Shovel-ready is great, but it still means that you're going to need 18 to 22, 23 months to actually build a building. And businesses don't want to wait that period of time. They want to get into a facility immediately. So what we found was that these cities um, had basically gotten a new economic development strategy based on speculative development. In other words, you research the market, you find out what is the most sought after space. Back then, four years ago, uh, it was coal storage, it was research and development space, it was warehousing space, it was distribution space. That may have changed over four years, but at the time, those were the hot commodities. So what these other communities did was they would actually build a facility on spec based on the, the, you know, the field of dreams philosophy, if you build it, they will come. And it hit a home run, whereas Buffalo and Western New York were, was experiencing one, two, three percent growth per year, and we thought that was great. These other Rust Belt communities were double-digit growth, and you know, literally no sooner than they built these buildings and they were filled. And so, I and and these these business folks met with with Lynn Dixon and shared that with her, and said, you know, this this could be that new issue. This could be the this could do to. Poland car is what the regionalism issue did to Gorski. Get him off of his game in an area where he's really not comfortable and in an area where you're driving the agenda and you're driving the debate. Uh, for whatever reason, their campaign, the, the Dixon campaign, chose not to develop that. I, I thought that was a huge mistake. And uh, th that could be an issue. Again, I, I, I'd have to go back and 
And she'd have to go back and take a look at what's working in other communities, what they're doing differently than we are, especially the ones that are in the Rust Belt that are experiencing much higher growth than Western New York. And, you know, that, that could be, I, you know, could be, could be something else. But it, it's that way of thinking that pulls an incumbent off of their ground onto your ground and puts you in command of the debate and the agenda. That's what usually beats an incumbent. You know, mentioning that 2019 election where less than half of registered voters turned out to vote. And, you know, it it was, I thought, pretty close, 53.7 percent to 46.3 percent, maybe not as close as I remember. Um, But is there anything that can be learned? You just mentioned that anything that can be learned going into this election uh, to to run against Mark Polonkars? Well, that was an interesting election because he did not win by an overwhelming uh, vote. And that was the first sign that maybe shelf life was beginning to set in. We've had four more years of that. We've had we've had the COVID issue, which uh, I think in many ways, uh, Mark Polenkar has exhibited a part of his personality that was not very appealing. Um, we, we had the issue with the snowstorm and, and his criticism of, of Mayor Brown. That did not exhibit a, a more pleasant side of his personality either. Um, and so, you know, you've, you've got all of those things that have that have changed. But the other thing I think worth watching, Joe, is this primary that polling cars is going to have against McMurray. Uh, you know, th- that'll, be, that'll be interesting from the standpoint, is McMurray able to draw blood? Is he able to exploit weaknesses? And even if he doesn't win, produce a vote total that really does highlight the fact that shelf life uh, is a factor. And so I, th- I think we ought to be watching how McMurray runs and, and how well he does. And is he able to, to expose weaknesses that then a Republican candidate can pick up and, and ride for the rest of the political season? Is that something that you think, and I might get in trouble for this question, but is that something you might you think might be the issue? Uh, we saw you know, a, a lot of chaos at the Erie County Democrats' uh, endorsement meeting. Uh, now, Nate McMurray's put a video out. I don't, I don't know if that has or hasn't been edited. I'm not saying either way. Uh, but he put a video out of Zellner yelling to the stage, him yelling back. Do you think Erie County Democrats might be fearful that a primary could expose weaknesses in the polling cars campaign? Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you're not fearful of that, you're probably setting yourself up for a major disappointment. You've, it's always good as an incumbent to run as if you're the underdog. When, when you get a little too cocky and a little bit too much hubris, that's when you get surprised. Um, to a certain extent, that's what happened to Byron Brown in the Democrat primary with India Walton. He just took her, too, you know, took her so lightly and didn't even go through the motions of that primary and ended up losing and then having to come back and win in a, in a write-in general election. So, yeah, it, it, it could be that um, th- there's enough dissatisfaction within the Democrat Party uh, among its voters that they want to change. And uh, that's what I'm going to be looking for. Uh, can he exploit that? Uh, and the other thing is, you know, Nate McMurray has has definitely positioned himself on the far left of the Democrat Party with progress, the progressive left. Uh, those are the types of people that tend to vote uh, in primaries. They're the most motivated. And so he may be able to exploit that chink in the armor, that polling cars is not progressive enough. Um, on the other hand, you've got the strength of the Democrat uh, organization uh, with Jeremy Zellner as head of it, and they're going to be doing everything they can uh, to deliver the endorsement to and uh, through a primary through uh, uh, to Mark polling cars. As I said to David Bellavie on Friday, that's the most important job of a chairman, whether it be a town chairman, county chairman, state chairman. Make sure your endorsed candidate 
wins a primary. Because if, if you can't deliver that endorsement to your endorsed candidate, it's not long before potential candidates start to say, you're irrelevant. I don't need your organization support. I don't need your endorsement. I can win it in a primary. And that begins the downfall of a political party organization when, when candidates start to go off rogue on their own and uh, pursue endorsements. So it's, a, it's critical not only for polling cars to win the primary, it's also critical for Jeremy Zellner. Going back to something you said about, you know, some of the big names we heard in the Republican Party uh, not wanting the job. Is the county executive not a not a popular job, not a not a seek after job? Or is it Mark Polonkars that uh, some of these bigger names didn't want to run against? Yeah, you know, it, it's we talked about this on, on the show on Friday with David. It, having you know served five years as the deputy county executive, you know, I saw the, the good, the bad and the ugly parts of the job. Um, it, it is a bad job in the sense that so much of your budget is is driven by federal and state mandates. You do not have the kind of discretion in a billion dollar budget that you would think uh, a, a chief executive would have. Uh, so many welfare, Medicaid uh, uh, mandates that you have to deal with. On the other hand, there's there's still a fair amount of money that you can direct to priorities and. You, you do control the bully pulpit. The fact is you're the focal point of, a, of one of the largest counties in the state. Um, with the right leadership, the right vision, you can change priorities and you can change directions and you can get other levels of government to help you and you can get the business sector to help you and the not-for-profit sector to help you uh, and really change the focus of the, and the direction of a county and its government. So that's what appeals to people who have what I would call an executive mentality as opposed to a legislative mentality. Um, I've always said there, there's a distinct difference between the legislature, a legislator's mentality and an executive's mentality. And people who are legislators and of that mentality, they, they, they can deal with many, many issues at a time and pass legislation here, there, and everywhere. An executive has to be much more focused on four, five, six major priorities and stay focused on those like a laser beam. And oftentimes it's very difficult for the legislative personality to succeed in the executive office because of that mindset. And so some of these people may just just have concluded that, you know what, uh, even though it, there's parts of the job that appeal to me, uh, maybe it's just not my cup of tea to be that executive. And that, that, may have, that may have entered into some of the decisions. I don't know, but I do know there is a distinct difference between the legislative personality, the legislative mind frame, and the executive mind frame. Before we uh, wrap up, Carl, we have State Senator George Brello on next uh, talking about this natural gas ban. And, you know, it just seems that there are becoming more and more questions. We had uh, State Senator Sean Ryan on the station earlier in the week. We heard from Ted Kennedy, uh, Tim Kennedy, sorry, last week, uh, another state senator. It seems like no one, except for the language of the proposal, wants to give a straight answer on what actually is going to happen. No, that's because they all know what the real agenda is. The real agenda is to take away people's gas appliances. If you, if you look at all of the major environmental groups in the state and in the nation, they clearly write that the, the long-term goal is to take away gas appliances and electrify everything, clearly. The federal government is moving towards this, um, this position, uh, not through legislation, but through regulation. Uh, the federal government is, is going to be issuing regulations that essentially I believe there are 21 manufacturers of gas stoves in this country. If these regulations get put into effect, 20 of those manufacturing companies 
will be illegal uh, unless they change their, their entire outlook, their entire uh, business model. They will not be able to sell their gas appliances. And so the real agenda here in the long term is taking away those appliances. Now, when it came out very clearly and very bluntly, there was major public pushback and all of these you know, state politicians, Democrats, started to, to backtrack. But don't be fooled for a second. It may take them a little longer than they wanted it. They may have gone, they may have been premature in announcing what their true agenda is. Uh, but that's their agenda and they may, they may find that there's more ways, more than one way to skin the cat. And you, you watch, that is the long-term goal of the state is to do away with fossil fuels and the, and the consequences be damned. Um, it's very dangerous. Politically, it may be a bridge too far for Democrats. I think they realize that in their in their hearts, uh, but they're committed to. I, they sh I should say they realize it in their heads, but their hearts are committed to this green agenda. No more fossil fuels. And I don't care what they say now. You, you watch what the long term goal here is, and the and the steps, the incremental steps they take to get there. You know, once something like this goes into effect, as I've mentioned, it, it seems unpopular with people across all political beliefs, especially upstate. I don't, I don't know what the opinions are downstate, but especially upstate. Is this something where Republicans could see a gain in seats or, Carl, and I hate to phrase it this way, is New York State too far gone on a state level elections when it comes to Albany? Well, a little bit of both, Joe. I think certainly this is a wedge issue that in close competitive districts, Republicans could could win and, and maybe defeat Democrat incumbents. The problem is there's not enough of those competitive districts, uh, given the downstate dominance of New York state politics. Um, this is this is like, you know, this, this has almost become a religion within the Democrat Party and the Democrat left, the progressive left, and they're not going to let go of it. And I think the way this state is constituted with the strength of downstate numbers, uh, they're going to continue to push this agenda, even if Republicans pick up seats. Uh, very, very difficult to see that there are enough competitive seats where Republicans could get back the majority of, of either house, uh, the Assembly or the Senate. Very, very difficult, if not almost in the near term, impossible. Carl Calabri is always great catching up with you. We look forward to hearing you on Friday. Thank you. Look forward to it as well. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.